Okay. Welcome, everyone. And that's how we like them. So today, my title is You Are Heavy, because we like you big, we like you chunky. I'm still kind of in the process of thinking exactly what God's showing me, um, but you kind of get something that's, that's still, still in the process. And as you know, I've been quite sparked by the whole uh, Brexit uh, issue, and um, I think there's something that God's saying to us about having influence. And um, I think it really fits in with this spirit of adventure that we're looking at at the moment. So let's just have a quick recap of where we've got to so far. So we've been talking about the idea of adventure is an unusual, daring, risky, and exciting experience. Um, right at the beginning, you signed a contract signing up to it, and we've had samplings. We've invited the Holy Spirit to, to make us discontent with the status quo. And we've looked at characteristics of an adventurer, that they're forceful, persistent, and bold, They've got, they need to know God's mind above the noise. That's what Neil talked about. We've looked at knowing God's moment. We looked at the story of Esther for that. We talked about they need to be risky, doing things on the basis that it could be God and throw, th- throwing everything onto one, one dice. And then we've talked about being powerful. And Mark mentioned that, and I've mentioned that previously. Did you know this is our eighth session under this, this series? It's really building up some momentum. It's lovely. It's lovely. So, we're learning to become bold. We're learning to become risky and adventurous people. And the thing that I'm particularly interested in is how do we absorb this message into our bloodstream so it actually changes our DNA to the point that people recognize us based on our hunger for adventure, based on our boldness, based on our willingness to take risks, and so that it reproduces after our own kind, that we raise up children that have a spirit of adventure, that in our workplaces, the people that we're mentoring capture a spirit of adventure. How do we absorb this into our bloodstream that it affects the way that we live? So today, you are heavy So these are the places that I want to take us today. So when I'm talking about heavy, I'm talking about being influential. So you know when you talk about, oh, they're a heavyweight politician. The weight is about having influence and authority in what they bring. So I want to make the point that you are heavy. I want to mix metaphors. I want to talk about boarding a train. And without thinking, we can easily board a train that takes us in the wrong direction of popular opinion that we have to respond by pulling the emergency brake, and then we have to go back to my first metaphor and readjust our weight in order to seek first the kingdom. So, you are heavy because God has made you so. Last week, Mark spoke about being powerful people. You're capable people and powerful people. A couple of weeks before that, I talked about we are the head and not the tail. We are called to bring a lead in any situation, not be those that whinge and whine at the back of the, back of the line. God gave you weight. He's given you authority. And you may remember from previously doing this uh, illustration of sometimes we think that 
our, our weight doesn't do anything, but we're the only person on the scale. We're the only person on the seesaw. Where we put ourselves, we tip the balance in our favor. And I gave the example last time that the enemy, the devil, doesn't have authority. We have authority. The only way the devil can tip anything into his favor if he convinces us to put our, our weight on his side of the argument. And then he uses our authority to bring us down. But God gave us weight. He gave the devil no weight. So I want you to exp- uh, unpack a little bit about how did he give us weight. So he gave us authority to bind and loose. He gave us authority to overcome the enemy. And he gave us authority to release his power. So because all authority under heaven and earth was given unto Jesus, he then has given some of that to us. So you can think of it this way, that he is the source of all power. He is the power station. He, he is the person that produces authority, weight, strength. But yet he still allows me to push the, push the trigger to push the switch in my, my house, in my life, in my sphere, I can push the button that brings light into those situations. Pushing the button does not generate electricity. It releases the electricity that's already been generated. But if I don't push that, all of the power that's there remains as a potential power. It's not actually put, put to use. I'm going to show this next video clip and this, uh, uh, from West Wing. And these, these characters are have just managed to get lost in the middle of America and they're trying to catch up with the rest of the, the group. And they've had a terrible time of getting uh, time zones messed up and then they've tried to ride a, uh, get a lift in a truck but then it ran out of solar fuel or whatever. And so they're at their, their last resort and so they're trying to, trying to, get, to um, get to their destination. There's going to be no trouble. There's going to be no trouble. The train runs on regular train fuel. I'm pretty sure you guys don't have your very own international dateline in Bloomington or anything? No. In that case, on behalf of Bartlett for America and the Democratic Party, I want to thank you for your help and tell you that you're a good guy. And good luck to you. Thanks. I'm going to go find seats. Take it easy. Mr. Lyman? Mr. Ziegler? Call me Josh. Toby, I work at the White House. Yeah. Can I tell you something? People are going to think you're a lot cooler if you don't say that yourself, but rather let them find out on their own. Okay. The engineer knows the route. Josh, Toby, on my girlfriend's life. Your trouble's at 98 miles right down that track. In the same way, we can find ourselves on board a train that's taken us in the opposite direction to where we want to go. And we get to a point where we think, how did I end up here? So let me give you some, some examples for myself. I've been watching the, um, the, the Chilcot inquiry into the Iraq war. And I remember at the time thinking it was a good idea. We needed to go in. I was convinced by the idea of the threat of weapons of mass destruction. Um, I was in reaction to the 9-11 uh, attacks. 
I was ignorant of the whole situation and the complexities of, of what Iraq life was like. And I foolishly believed that we had an ability to step into a country like that, uh, take out one guy, and it would all fix itself. I didn't even notice that there was no exit plan. I boarded a train that I thought, my goodness, I've gone in the absolute wrong direction on this. A number of people that I've talked about with a whole Brexit thing, they've talked to me about, you know what, I realised that I've ended up judging people for having voted the other way and writing them off, treating people as if they're stupid or if they're racist or as if they're stuck up and they're, they're overprivileged. And I realised, how did I end up here? When did I get on this train? Some of the other things that, that I feel quite challenged about in society is, where does, where does redemption work its way out in society? So, ex-offenders, particularly sex offenders, once their name's on that list, it's so easy just to think, well, just lock them up, throw away the key, that's, that's the end of it. And you see these, these news articles of people re-offending, and you think, oh, no, they shouldn't do that. But I'm actually getting on a train to have an opinion which I don't actually believe in because I believe in redemption. I believe in God's genuine change of people's characters. But yet I can be on that opinion train without even realizing it. When, um, when me and Lucy first got together, whenever we would talk about Margaret Thatcher, I grew up with this idea that she made the hard decisions that saved the country. Lucy came from the opinion that she was the devil incarnate. <laughs> and it's amazing that in both situations, we'd got on board a train. Um, very different opinions, but neither of them had space for what the other thought. I was talking to, to Avril um, on Friday, and she'd mentioned that she'd been uh, rushing around in London and was just heading down into the train station. And uh, a guy, kind of scruffy-looking, sitting on the floor, assumed he was homeless, um, said something to her. And so she gave the reaction that I, I imagine a lot of us would do, which is a sympath sympathetic smile and said, sorry. And the guy said, oi, what are you apologising for? I said, have a good day. And Avril said she felt so convicted because she'd boarded the train of public opinion on what that guy's going to want. The only reason that he would interact is because he wants money off me. And I, I do that. And I think, my goodness, I'm on a train that's taking me in a certain direction here. It's not a modern day issue. Here's uh, some biblical people that also uh, got on the wrong train. So this guy here, this is Rehoboam. He took on the idea of taxing the people. So he took over after Solomon and he increased the taxes because that's what the, the opinion of the young, smart experts of the day said. Increase the tax. Show them who's boss. It caused the split in that whole nation. He would have got off that train if he realized where it was going. This, this we have. This is Paul. Paul's eating alone because he won't eat with the Gentiles because there's a popular opinion that he was, he'd boarded that train that said you can't eat with the Gentiles. They're not clean. This here is the story of Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Ahab was a bad guy, and he managed to convince Jehoshaphat, who was a better guy, to go into a war with him. 
He almost got killed doing that, uh, Jehoshaphat. He would have not got on that train if he had been thinking. And finally, Aaron built a, a golden calf for the people to worship because that's what they wanted. And it caused major issues for the people at that, those days. It's so easy to find ourselves on the wrong train heading in the wrong direction. So how do I know if I'm on the wrong train? Well, particularly looking at the, the Brexit situation, there are things that I noticed in the debate and the reaction to the debate, which I think could be ways of working out if we're on the train. So watch for these symptoms. If you find yourself ranting... Now, my definition of ranting is impassioned complaining lacking a commitment to action. Lots of it happens online. Ranting is, yeah, it's, I think it's like an old man disease, but yeah, it, it seems to be popular amongst all, us all in some ways. If you find you get into ranting, you may be on the wrong train. If you get involved in tribalism, so a preference to side with those you consider to be most like you, not thinking about what's good for those beyond you, just those that look like you, feel like you, sound like you. That's tribalism. Protest. Now, in some situations, protest is the last resort and it is necessary. But I believe that we should be people that don't just try and tear down, but look to build something up. I would much rather be part of offering an alternative than just protesting against what exists. Emotional indulgence. Getting ourselves all worked up or, or, or something tugs on our heartstrings and we suddenly react to it. And I'll show you some examples of that in the media in a second. Or almost the opposite way there is we just put our heads down and we just get interested in our own little world. We switch off from everything else going around us um, and we just narrow down our interest. These are all symptoms of, think, of being on the wrong train. Uh, that emotional indulgence, it happens in, in, in the media. Oh, I forgot polarisation. Polarisation is, is when you take, you divide an argument into two and you pull them so far and you don't allow anything in between. So, again, I was thinking about the Iraq war. At the time, if you weren't in favour of going into the Iraq war, then you were soft on terrorism and you, you weren't interested in protecting uh, nation, the, the nation that you lived in. A lot of American politicians talked about this, the absolute backlash of saying, wait a second, let's think about this. Or uh, is phone tapping like we're trying to do now in post 9-11 acceptable? So fast down on, on top of their heads for, for saying, oh, you're, you're soft on terrorism. You're not going to protect our nation. But... There is room in between. I think I mentioned it previously um, about... Um, I, I've looked at some stuff with the young people under the title of Is God Anti-Gay? And you can be divided so easily into two camps. You can be put onto one side that says, um, well, if you don't accept homosexuality and uh, homosexuals for as they are, then you're as bad as a racist. That's one side. Or on the other side, if you don't come strung out and exclude people and shout at people, then you're not protecting what the Bible says. I don't want to be put in either of those, those camps. I want to know what, what is God saying in between. 
Um, if I'm getting involved in polarisation, oh, if you, th if, you, if you voted that way in the referendum, if you voted to leave, then you're a racist idiot. Or if you voted to remain, then you're an intellectual middle-class snob. There's so much room in between. But when we're on the wrong train, these are the things that it leads us to do. Right, I was going to say, when the um, immigration crisis was, was really big last summer, um, we saw a, a complete U-turn in, in some of the, the media. Um, and it was, it was pretty shocking. I, I don't know if people will have noticed, but I, I found these clips which I thought really did show us the, the fickle nature of the media. So these are the same papers with about three days in between. My, migrants, how many more can we take? And then the image of that little boy's body that was washed up on the beach, tiny victim of a human catastrophe. Same newspaper, about three days apart. Eight million foreigners living in Britain. The plight of migrant children stirs Europe's conscience. Same newspaper. Calais crisis, send in the dogs. Unbearable. And the sun with the catchiest one. Softy, Calais goes ballistic, Frenchies are atrocious. It's life and death. When I look at these things, I think how corrupt... I think how hypocritical and I think how emotionally indulgent. Is this a train that I want to be on? Do I want to just swallow what I'm being fed by this machine? I don't know if you noticed some of these headlines, and one of them's a little bit older. Uh, uh, this, this thing's pretty key in, in the news right now, the Russian doping thing, and we find out today um, what the... Uh, IOC has decided to do. So the, st the state of Russia has been found guilty of organizing the mass doping of, Olymp uh, of Russian Olympians. And there was a big outcry that Russia should receive a blanket ban from competing in the next Olympics. And there was quite a body of support for that. And then the I IOC, who actually gets to decide for the Olympics, poured a delay and then started talking about, well, let's just target those people that were, were guilty of it, those, those names that we've actually got clear, which is crazy because the names that you've got clear is the state of Russia. The Russian government has done it. But people don't make decisions in this world based on integrity. They make it on what works. They make it on what serves the, for the needs. And for the IOC... They're not interested in integrity. They're interested in making the Olympics the best it can be, to have the most credibility for those that win gold medals. That's their interest. I remember finding out about the, the killings in Rwanda, and uh, this is from an American newspaper. The officials say that they were told not to call it genocide because they were concerned by saying this is genocide, it would cause a wave of public support that would say we've got to do something about it. But by not calling it genocide, it meant that they could carry on ignoring it. Um, did anyone see the Tony Blair apology, not apology? I think that one was a little bit clearer, but sometimes 
When someone says, I'm so sorry that you feel this way, or I'm sorry that, that this has made you feel bad, that's, that's not an apology in that way. And we've got to be sharp in these things, otherwise we end up boarding a train. And I don't know if you've seen this whole Turkey coup, did it, was it a government-organized coup, whatever, but the backlash of that has been incredible. The, the uh, purging of different workers, there's 15,000 education workers, I think there's about 60,000 people have either lost their jobs or uh, been penalized in some way. And all these things, it makes me want to ask, what is this about? What is really going on in these things? I don't want to just board a train like I did with, with the Iraq war situation and then find out down the line, oh my goodness, why, how did I end up here? This is not what I want to be. Another way that we can work out if we're on the wrong train is by asking ourselves, what's at the end of the track? So if we work back over some of those examples... So take, for instance, the, um, the polarisation of the, take the Brexit situation. I, I got to speak to um, a guy that I really respect, um, who's, a, who's a good leader in the, the work that, that he does. Um, very well respected. And I've never seen him so worked up before. And he's saying, we've got to call fascism out for what fascism, fascism is. And... I, I could see what he was saying. Some of the posters used by the Leave campaign really did represent Nazi propaganda. Um, but I, I said to him, but what, where's the end of this? If you start calling anyone that voted the opposite to you a fascist, you, you're going to just continue to push them apart. You're going to exclude them. You're going to alienate them. You'll end up isolating yourself. Where's the bridge? How are you going to build a bridge? There are reasons why people voted differently to you in the same way there's reasons why people thought differently to you. How are you ever going to understand what are the needs that they perceive if you're not prepared to have a conversation beyond name-calling? On a, on a kind of a micro scale, imagine there was someone that, that I thought was strange, such as Phil Ackerman here. Say... Phil kind of struck me as a, he's a bit of a weirdo. He dresses strange. He kind of stands strange. He speaks out when he shouldn't speak out. It's just, he's a little bit odd. But I've labelled him now as a weirdo. And I take the position of, I don't really want anything to do with a weirdo. I don't really, no, I want to keep some distance. I want to protect myself from him. How will he ever have a chance to prove that he's not what I've decided in my mind. There's no opportunity to dis disprove my prejudice of him. What is my role in showing God's love to him? What is my role in helping him know when to shout out and when not to shout out? What is my opportunity to learn from what God's put in him for me? There's people that I'm sure that you would have in your life that you've thought, oh, I'm not going near them. But where does that track end? Is that a, a godly thing? Or is that, that ungodly? Is that something that leads to condemnation, to rejection, to division? So, always looking down. What's at the end of the track? Where am I going to get myself with this? 
if we looked at those newspapers before the, the big U-turn, what, what is the end of this? Is there an alternative way of approaching and thinking about this? So there's two tips for how to work out if you're on the wrong train. But how, how do you get on the wrong train to begin with? Well, a lot of the time, for me, it's not engaging my brain. I'm not thinking. I'm just swallowing what's given without asking the question, where does this train end up? Or without spotting those symptoms. Sometimes I, I'm the tail and not the head. I think, well, it doesn't really make any difference what I say. I'm, I, it's just little old me. What, what could I do anyway? I just let it all flow around me without having an opinion or engaging with the matter. Or I feel the peer pressure. I don't want to say what, what I'm thinking. I don't want to put my head above the parapet here. Or, at times, I've relied on experts and evidence rather than what God's saying. Now, that doesn't mean the exclusion of experts and evidence, but it puts priority in what God says. And sometimes that means that you contradict what the experts and the evidence says. I, I love our young people. And... Um, Sometimes I love that they give real reasons why the Bible uses the metaphor of sheep. And um, there have been times where I've been leading a group of young people and perhaps say I've had to stop because I've had to look at a map or work out where to go next. And they're kind of all be behind me bleeping. Um, and one will be talking really intensely and another one wants to join the conversation. So he comes around this side and starts talking as well. And then someone over here thinks, oh, oh, comes around here and joins the back of this conversation. And the next one, and the next one. And before you know it, the whole group <laughs> is moving. I'm still there with a the map thinking, okay, we need to go this way. They're all going full pelt now down this road. When I can stop them and I call them back, I, think, I ask them, where were you going? Don't know. Did you even realize you had gone? No. <laughs> but we do that. We do that all the time. With the way that we get involved in conversations, we can end up spurring each other on in the absolute wrong direction because we're not asking those questions. Have I, where, where will this train end up? Have I boarded a train without thinking that does not help me get where I need to get? What is shaping your thinking? How do you decide where you will live? How will you decide where your children will go to school? How will you decide if you're going to spend that money or save it? How will you decide if you go to university, which university, what to study at that university? When it came up for my choice for, for university, I probably would have kind of gone with the sheep. I would have thought, well, university is about discovering yourself, isn't it? So it's all about kind of kicking off the chains of, of your home life and going to discover who you really are. I would have probably picked the course that I thought was most interesting or, or had the least contact time. Probably would have picked English, like Lucy. <laughs> she went to a better university, but we still got the same result. Um, I would have, I would have ended up thinking, what, what will get me the rich, the, the, the best income quickest? 
or what would be the most enjoyable subject? All pretty normal things to think. But if I hadn't had my dad asking me the question, he said, what would be the most useful for the kingdom? And I thought, oh, okay. So I did business management. Not sure. Not sure if it's going to help the kingdom. Doesn't feel like it has yet. But um, the other thing, I decided to stay at home. And so I drove to Colchester three times a week um, because I, I wanted to still be involved in the youth work here. And I was able to give myself... To, uh, to being part of the, the youth work at the time. And I still believe that what I learned through the involvement in youth work taught me more about life than my university uh, course did. And that's not necessarily the right decision for everyone. That was what, was what God was saying for me. But the question, what would be useful for the kingdom? How often when we come up to decisions like this, are those the things that we're asking? Can I spend this money or not spend this money? Well, what, what would build the kingdom? What would help the kingdom? I was having a conversation with uh, one of our friends in the network, and he was telling me that he, he's been working till 8 p.m. at night, not leaving work till 8 p.m. I said, but has, has God given you permission to spend your time in that way? And he said, I'd never thought of that question. Like, well, this is... This is what God's put in your hand. This time is what God's put in your hand. Should you be using it to strengthen the saints? Should you be using it to be with your family? Should you be using it to, I don't know, learn the bassoon? I I don't know. But have you not asked that question? God, is this okay? Can I be using it for this? All he thought was, I just went with what was needed. The job needed to be done. I needed money. I had bills to pay. So easy to get caught up and think on the basis of self-preservation, fear, sometimes anger, self-promotion, fear of man. So what do I do if I realize that these things are motivating my decision? What if I realize I've found myself on the wrong train? I need to pull the emergency brake. And it's quite simple. It's about stopping and thinking. And it's about asking the Holy Spirit to give me insight for the things that are in front of me. We often talk about the men of Issachar, who are men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. That's our privilege as children of God. That's our commandment as children of God, that we should be those that know the course for our spheres, for our own lives, for our families, for our friends, for our church, for our workplaces, for our nation. We should be the people that know. But we won't do it if we get on someone else's train that heads us in the wrong direction. We won't be part of that if we don't engage with it. I remember um, at the, the launch of the, uh, the Iraq war, Scott Webster, who's very gifted and a prophetic, wrote an article called D-squared, and it was damned if you do and damned if you don't. And he, said, and he drew all the similarities with the Vietnam War. And he said, the rhetoric of the politicians have got themselves into such a position now, the way that they've spoken, that they can't get out. So if you don't go into Iraq, as if you don't go into Vietnam, then you can't say that you stand by the values which you've been drumming on about. But then if you do go in, you can't win a, win a war against ideology by sending tanks in. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And he was spot on. 
I think that's someone that knew the times. And that's what we've got. We've got the gift of prophecy. We've got the gift of knowing God's mind. As his children, we can know what he's thinking. A lot of you were here when Mohammed Naku was here and he stood up and he prophesied the Arab Spring. Do you remember that happening? And I remember thinking, God, Mohammed Naku's gone off the deep end again. We're just singing songs right now, and you're talking about Egypt and Tunisia and uh, Algeria. We're not involved in those places. But God just showed us there, I I know what's going to happen. I know the position that we should take. And we don't need to know all of the facts and figures. When I was talking to to this guy after the Brexit vote, he was... um, He's smarter than me. He's much more plugged into the, the corridors of power than I am. But I only had one thing to say, which is, what builds a bridge? That was the message that I had. And so that's all I could say, and I just had to keep saying it. And a few days later, he emailed me and said, Thank you, thanks for your alternative opinion. It's really made me think. And maybe that's all that I had to do right then. That was my sightedness, was just, this doesn't feel right. I can see that you're not going to get to a positive destination by looking up the track. So once we've pulled the emergency cord, we've got to choose to adjust our weight because we're heavy. We're influential. We can make the difference. And we do it on the basis, like my dad's question about university, what builds the kingdom? What seeks first the kingdom of God? That's where I want to put my weight. I don't want to put it where the devil's convinced me to put it. I don't want to put it where the media's convinced me to put it. I want to know what God wants me to do. So once you realize you're not on the train that you want to be on, you want to get on the train that you do want to be on. You need to adjust your weight and you think, what, where do I want to put my weight? What do I want to put it behind? And then this is something that's important. Find someone that's putting their weight in the right place and put your weight with them. You don't have to initiate everything. Sometimes it's about supporting something that's already done. I'm going to show you a bit of a TED talk here um, where a guy's talking about the, uh, the importance of being the first follower. So ladies and gentlemen, at TED, we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen, start to finish, in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. (laughs) But what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. (laughs) And here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers, because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. 
Now here come two more people, and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed. But they will be part of the in crowd if they hurry. So. Over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson. If you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in and what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Thanks. <laughs> so find that lone nut and put your weight in behind them. And we want to have our conversations that reveal the lone nuts. We want to be thinking, let's be brave enough to be the people that, that support them. Um, I talked about Sarah Tizard's uh, request of the... the uh, council to take down the leave signs uh, around uh, Andrew's corner. Is that the thing of a lone nut? Do I need to put my weight behind that and support her in that situation? People are doing stuff all over the place that I've got weight. I could add influence. They're on a train heading in the right direction. I want to be part of that. That's got a destination that I want to be part of. So spirit of adventure don't think that it's all about initiating something from scratch. Sometimes it's about putting yourself into something that exists. And when you do have something to say, say it boldly, say it often, say it with love and compassion. Because you've been given words of life that can help build bridges that need to be, need to be built. You don't have to have all the intellectual facts and figures, but you can and do have the mind of God. And you are heavy. God has made you that way and use it in our pursuit of becoming adventurous people. <laughs>